morning, Solace Church. Thank you for being here today. Don't try this at home. We're professionals here. So glad that you're here. Hey, this is week two of our series called Aftermath. I'm a little bit under the weather today, so my voice may sound a little bit different. If it does, no worries. We'll get through that. If I have to sneeze or anything like that, just dismiss it. I'll walk off the stage and be right back. Is that cool? All right? <clears throat> so don't freak out. I'm so glad that you're here, though. If you're a guest visiting with us today, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, and if you're watching online at solacechurch.com, thank you for being a part of our online community. Uh, this is a very, uh, a very interesting week in the series called Aftermath. And the reason why it's interesting is because of what takes place uh, after uh, the disciples encounter Jesus for the first time since he rose from the dead. That's what we talked about last week. And we learned last week that in the aftermath of the resurrection, we can live fearlessly because Jesus comes into our, into our, into our circumstances and situations in the resurrected form. And we see that, that nothing that the Roman government, nothing that this world could throw at him could keep him in the grave. And so because of Jesus, we too can live fearlessly. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be scared because of the resurrected Jesus. But remember that, that Jesus in the aftermath of the resurrection doesn't allow us to just lock ourselves in our safe rooms. He calls us to go out into the world and live fearlessly and boldly before people, not arrogantly and not with some kind of you know, egocentric agenda, but rather with the gospel, the gospel that changes lives. And so my prayer is that our church would be that in image in the aftermath of the resurrection. Well, it's interesting as the story unfolds, what takes place just after this event where the disciples get a chance to see Jesus for the very first time. Remember, Judas is now out of the picture. He's betrayed Jesus. He's gone. He has decided to take his own life. There are 10 locked in an upper room. And there's one missing. There's one that was not with the disciples on that evening, the very first evening after the resurrection. His name was Thomas. He wasn't there. Many of you probably know the story of Thomas, but maybe, maybe you've not heard the story of Thomas like you're going to hear it today. Um, if you're writing things down, if you want to think about the, the idea of the aftermath, how, how our lives can be different in light of the resurrection. I'm going to write this down, and I want to spend some time studying the story of Thomas. Because in the aftermath of the resurrection, I can believe... Now, I know that that seems out of, out of place. It seems like that that conversation should have happened previous to last week's message. Like, I can live boldly and fearlessly and I can go out into the world. It seems like I need to believe first. And while that's true in systematic theology, I think John records for us in John chapter 20 this story of Thomas in chronological order. And I think he does so for a very important reason. If you're here this morning... And by chance, you've never ever taken a step, step to say, you know what, I believe in this whole concept of Jesus being God, divine, and that he rose from the dead. If you've ever been skeptical about that, if you've ever struggled with believing that that is true, the order of events is really important for you. So in the aftermath of the resurrection, I can believe. But notice what takes place in the story. This is a perfect story for any skeptic, any, any person that struggles to believe in the historical reliability of the resurrection, or the historicity of the resurrection, rather. Notice what takes place. This is John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. This is just after 
the events that unfold on the evening of the resurrection of Jesus. Now in verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but, all right, stop for a moment. This is a perfect picture. I think John paints a perfect picture here of the skeptic. There are people, disciples, people that were with Jesus, that they followed him for years and years and years, that stated emphatically to Thomas, we have seen Jesus resurrected. We saw him. We had the chance to experience him in this very room with us. It was incredible. We've seen Jesus alive. But... It is the exact word that many skeptics use. (laughs) Well, that's great for you. I'm glad you've had that experience, but, right? And and so let me just just kind of put us all at ease this morning. If you've ever tried to share your faith with someone, express to someone how your life has been changed because of Jesus, and they've kind of just kind of shrugged it off, or they've been dismissive, or they want more evidence, join the crowd. If the disciples can't convince another disciple, you may have trouble convincing other people as well. The disciples tell Thomas, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. And this is Thomas's response. It's the perfect response of someone who struggles with skepticism. Now, before I give this to you, if you are a skeptic in the room, or if by chance you're watching online this morning at solacechurch.com, hear me. If you're a skeptic, no condemnation, right? The story is not about condemning Thomas. The story is about explaining for us. Now, Jesus is going to give Thomas a rebuke in just a couple of minutes. But the story is about explaining to us what takes place in the life of someone who struggles to believe easily. And if that's you, man, just follow the story. I think you'll appreciate what Thomas goes through, okay? So what takes place? Thomas says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side I will not believe it alright now notice what Thomas says and what he does not say Thomas looks at the disciples who's just proclaimed the experience they've had with the, re- with the resurrection of Jesus and says to them unless I two things see with my eyes and experience him with my senses the rest of my senses touch him Unless I see it so my mind can process it and experience it, feel him so that the rest of me can experience this. Unless those two things happen, notice what he says, I will not believe it. Notice what Thomas could have said but didn't. The disciples are eager to share about the fact that Jesus had rose from the dead. Thomas, who was one of of the twelve, could have said, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see Jesus so that I can fully believe. (laughs) It's not what he said. He said, unless you can prove to me that this is the Jesus that we walked with, he's here in person, and I can feel him with my hands, unless that is true, I will not believe. Do you see the posture? He is setting the stakes so high that it's almost impossible, he thinks, in his mind. I'm not going to buy into that. I will not believe it. Oftentimes in the heart of a skeptic, someone who's trying to search, here's, here's the deal. And I don't, I don't necessarily know why this is the case, but oftentimes in the heart of the skeptic, hear me, they're not eager to believe. They resist belief. They, they, they're not eager to find the evidence that leads them to Christ. They are very resistant to the idea that Jesus could re, actually rise from the dead. They're resistant to the idea that he could actually be God. And this is, this is Thomas. Now hear me, if you're skeptic, listen, this guy walked with Jesus for three years. 
skepticism of Jesus is not new. He walks with Jesus, and yet he doubts the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Unless I see, and I put my finger, unless there's an intellectual reality, unless I can process it here, unless I can experience it here. Now, this is, this is Thomas' stakes. Now, this happened sometime uh, after the event of the evening of the resurrection. So sometime between Sunday and the next Sunday, this conversation unfolds. John doesn't tell us exactly when it happens. But he goes on in the story to say this in verse number 26. A week later, this is seven days later, the disciples were in the house again. And Thomas, this time, was with them. Though the doors were locked. Again, remember, we learned why the doors were locked. They were fearful last week. Now John includes, not for fear of the Jews, but the doors were locked to signify that what's about to happen is the actual person of Jesus comes through miraculously and appears to them in his resurrected state. He's demonstrating again this incredible supernatural reality that Jesus has been changed from just a physical man now to a resurrected form. Although we know he still has physical properties because he ate with them. And they could feel his, his scars. So Jesus came and stood among them and said the same phrase. Peace be with you. Shalom. Uh, blessings on you. Peace in this home. Right? We learned last week about the power of what Jesus offers to us in peace. And the story goes on in verse 27 to say this. Then he said to Thomas. I love it. Jesus goes directly to Thomas because. Hear me. Ready? Jesus told us this earlier. That, that, that God so loves that there are 99 sheep already in the pen, but he always goes searching for the one who's not there. And he goes to Thomas, the one that he knows is struggling with belief. He goes to Thomas and he says, hey, come here. Come here. Put, your hand, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Notice he... he, he he speaks into the two objections Thomas's, Thomas raises. Come here. You can touch me and you can see. Allow your mind to grab this and allow the rest of your senses to experience this. I am the resurrected Jesus. Do you see what's taking place? He meets Thomas right at his objections. It's, it's really important. And then he says to Thomas, this individual who'd been with Jesus three weeks, stop doubting and believe. It's a rebuke. Thomas, come on. Three years? Three years? Come on, man. Come on. Stop doubting. Stop, stop being the skeptic for skeptic's sake. Stop being the one who dismisses the evidence for dismissive sake. Come on, man. Believe. Right? Now, Thomas, after seeing and sensing, seeing and touching and feeling, right? Notice what happens in the story. Then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, for those of you who love theology, this is Christology. This is the study of Christ, right? For those of you who ever had a knock on your door and someone stopped by and said, hey, I'd love to talk to you. We're from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they would share with you anything about Jesus. They would say that he was not God and that he was less than God and created by God. Well, Thomas, in this incredible declaration about the person of Jesus, looks at him and said, you're my Lord and you're my God. Right? What, what Thomas does with this statement, I think it's the reason, one of the reasons why John includes it here, by declaring that he's both Lord and God, is giving us a picture of Jesus who is fully God, equal with the Father, Father just like John starts his gospel with. Remember John chapter 1? 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here we see at the very end, almost at the end of his biography of Jesus, we see that declaration is true. That Jesus, who was the Word, is fully God, right? He is God. It's a declaration of who he is, the resurrected Jesus, right? So this is Thomas's declaration. It's a powerful picture of Thomas's change from skepticism to belief. Now, now here comes the rebuke and... And an incredible statement of hope. So if I've lost you so far and you're like, I've heard that story so many times I checked out. If that, were, if that was you and you're like, I thought Matt was going to do a good job this morning, but he's a little bit boring this morning. If that, were, if that was you, hold on, okay? Because it gets really good from here. You're going you're to love the next part of this story. Okay. So notice what happens. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. There's some interesting conversation that's taken place about this part of the verse. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Some have argued that, that what Jesus was saying is, you know, there's coming a time where people won't, you know, won't be able to have the same kind of evidence that you have. And so they're blessed because they're, you know, they're operating in a different kind of evidential system than you get to operate on. And that, that, that's possibly, that's possibly true. But there's an interesting thought here I want you to consider for a moment, especially for those who are skeptic. Just... Just think about this for a moment. I think it's very possible Jesus might have been saying that there's a different kind of evidence that actually creates a more certain faith in the life of a believer. And you would say, not possible. As a matter of fact, and I do this often and sometimes, sometimes I take it too far and I get that and I'm working on that, I'm processing this, but I love to go online on Facebook and debate. Did you guys know that? I don't know, if, that may be a newsflash to some of you, but I love to go online and debate. And I love to go online and read the post, the blog post or the Facebook post or the Twitter posts from, from, from people who are agnostic or atheistic and, and they, they post about all these different you know, objections to Christianity objections to belief in a theistic God or even a deistic God. And so I love reading those posts and so I read through them. One of the things that I've heard over and over again, by the way, and I'm not saying this is like the chief objection here, but one of the things I've seen over and over and over again is this idea. If this whole idea of Jesus was really true, that he was really God and he rose from the dead, why couldn't that have happened in the age of technological advances so that we could have videoed it, seen it, and showed the world? Right? Then we would have absolute proof that Jesus rose from the dead and then no one could dispute it. It's an interesting argument, isn't it? Why in the world would this be set in the first century when there were no you know, video recording devices or even cameras to take a picture? You know, why, why is that the case? So, so, so follow me. I'm going to grab my Bible for just a moment. I know I don't do this often, read from the leather-bound Bible, but I highly recommend you doing that because the TV screen does not follow you often. You ought to get something like this out or your phone out. Use it, read it, study it. I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to read from it today, all right? Is that okay if I do that? All right. So, so in Luke chapter 16, something very interesting happens. So I want you to think about this. Those who say, if I could just see, then I would believe. In Luke chapter 16, you're welcome to turn there with me. It won't be on your screen. You can just, just listen for a moment if you'd like. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. 
And he says that there was, there, was, there was a certain rich man who had everything he needed on this earth. And there was Lazarus, the poor man, who just sat at the, the edge of the table, just begging for any kind of food that would fall from the table so he could just survive. They both died. Lazarus goes to be with, with God. The picture is with Abraham. That's where we get the concept of paradise or Abraham's bosom. That's where those things come from. He's with Abraham and he's, and he's comforted from his, from his distress here on earth. But the, the rich man is now in hell and he's in torment. And he looks up and he says to Abraham, could you send Lazarus to bring just, just a drop of water because of my torment? I just want to just, just some drop of water, some relief from what I'm going through. And Abraham says, it's not possible. There's a, there's a huge gap, chasm that's, that exists between you and us. And there's no way we can, we can make that jump. It's not possible. And then, and then what happens next is powerful. So after Abraham says, we can't come to you, then the rich man says to, to, says to Abraham, then I beg you, this is verse 27. I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers and, and let him warn them so they will not, not also come to this place of torment. He's concerned about his relatives. He's living in torment. He doesn't want his family to experience what he's experiencing. And so he's asking Abraham to send Lazarus back to them. In verse number 29, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Verse 30, no, this is the rich man, Father Abraham. He said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. If they could just see someone come back from the dead, then they would repent. It's just the evidence they're looking. If they could just see with their eyes, if their brains could process this event that Lazarus came back from the dead, then they would believe, I'm certain of it. Notice what Abraham says in response. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even as someone rises from the dead. This is amazing. Abraham said, if, if, if it were possible to convince someone just on that kind of evidence alone, then, then, we, then we might consider doing that because God is seeking after those who would be saved. But Abraham recognizes if they don't listen to the words given to them from God, if they don't listen to that, if someone would come back from the dead and, and just stand before them, they wouldn't be convinced of that either. And you would say, well, that's not true because it happened to Thomas. Certainly, certainly that, that can be the case. Well, here's the deal. Here's the thing. <laughs> we're actually very skeptical people. On 9-11, September 11th, 2001, I had the opportunity, the unfortunate opportunity to watch the planes fly into the two Twin Towers. I, I watched the newscast. Matter of fact, every year on September 11th, I re-watch it over and over again because I don't want to forget about the significance of what took place. I watch it again. And I see those planes fly into those towers. And I see the plane wreckage uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, I, and I see the, the events that happened at the Pentagon. It was very clear that there were planes that were hijacked. And they were flown into deliberate buildings, right? You know that story? Do you know that there's a movement called the Truther Movement? On Facebook, I think there's like 88,000 followers. But it's a, it's, a, it's a huge group of people. And they say, those planes didn't fly into the buildings. There were bombs that blew up 
the buildings. And you would say, but there's video evidence of, of, the, of the planes. You can see them. You can make them out going into the building. That's what hit the building and the, and the, and the jet fuel ignited and it, and, it, and it burned so intensely that the buildings fell and collapsed. You know, the structural stress and all that. No, 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 that's not what happened. The government planted bombs in there and projected the images and blew up the building and all those people died. It was the government's fault. You're like, you saw the pictures. Just yesterday, my wife and I were at Graham's birthday party. And uh, we were at Ovation's Dance Studio. It's the gym that my son goes to. And at this, at this gym area, they had set up an obstacle course. And towards the end of the event, there was, there was a, there, a rope that you could climb up and ring a bell if you reached the top and you were strong enough to reach the top. And so we got that rope down and, you know, we all did that. And that was fun. And all the kids were trying to do it. And then some of the adults thought that they would try it as well. And I tried it and climbed it and thankfully didn't kill myself doing that. But it was certainly not as strong as I thought I was. It's hard to climb that rope. And uh, so we, we were doing this over and over again. And finally, you know, it got to the place where we were like, hey, you know, Jennifer was there. I'm like, Jennifer, come on, climb the rope, climb the rope, climb the rope. And she's like, I'm not climbing the rope. I'm not climbing the rope. Well, everyone had left the event except for just uh, like our family, just a few people. And I went outside for a moment to take some of the party supplies, the birthday supplies out to my truck. And then on the way back in, my kids are coming to me and they're like, dad, dad, you can't believe this. Jennifer, mom, she's, she's up. She climbed it. She's getting ready to ring the bell. Get inside, right? I'm walking on my way in. She is up to the top of that rope and she rings the bell and she slides down, right? I didn't, I wasn't clap worthy. Come on. I mean, it was all right. It's decent. <laughs> Do you know what I said to her? Ready? I said, who helped you up there? <laughs> I know what's going on right now. This is a conspiracy. You wanted to show, you wanted me to believe that you actually climbed that and ring that bell. And so who helped you up there? And she's like, no one helped me up there. I climbed it myself. I'm like, whatever. Because seeing didn't lead me to believing. It actually led me to skepticism. All right. If you're a skeptic, I hope I haven't lost you yet. Just, just a couple more minutes, okay? Don't leave me. I recognize that in the life of some people that the knowledge piece they believe is the critical piece in unlocking their faith. They believe that if they just had the chance to experience what Thomas experienced, that they too then could receive Christ. But I I think Jesus is teaching us a much more profound truth. Matter of fact, it's all throughout John and it's all throughout scripture if you just look. Hear me. There are incredible evidences to believe in the actual historical resurrection of Jesus. There are, there are incredible philosophical reasons to believe in the existence of a creator. We're going to give you those tonight, okay? And I'm not suggesting to you that the intellectual hurdles, hurdles are not significant. For some of you, that is, that is what you see as the defining reason why you haven't received Christ yet. And we're going to help you overcome the intellectual hurdles. But hear me. When you hear the evidence, it's very unlikely you will walk out and go, well, that's it for me. Then I'm done. I'm going to believe in Jesus. 
Because it's very unlikely that it's the intellectual hurdles that are actually holding you back. We're going to help you jump those hurdles. We're going to help tear down those intellectual barriers that you believe are keeping you from Christ. But hear me, it is insufficient. Just because you see, you will not in that moment then start believing. It never happens that way. And what Jesus is saying is, and John is writing now, some 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus, what John is saying to the audience is, hear me, I know you think you need Thomas's story to believe, but you don't. There are plenty of evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. Intellectual, experiential, historical, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is overwhelmingly convincing. But that's not going to get you there. Let me go back here one more time. Is that okay if I, if I use... I know it's weird. This is like twice in one service. This is crazy, crazy, crazy. Okay, I want to go one more place with you, okay, this morning. So, so that I don't... So that, so that I can just... Just give you a challenge. Because in the aftermath of the resurrection, I can believe. But it's not because I'm so overwhelmingly convinced because of the intellectual evidence. Although it's there, I can believe for a different reason. Paul who, granted, had the opportunity to see the resurrected Jesus, I got it, writes about why someone can truly believe. Where does faith actually come from? We think it comes from sight. And we think it comes from, you know, the, the senses being able to touch it and grab it because that's our naturalistic, scientific world that we live in. But Paul says it doesn't come from there. Here's what Paul says. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and following, he says this. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. I've used that passage of scripture over and over and over again. You've heard it here many, many times. That if I would confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. Notice where belief comes from the heart not the head right? I know that's hard in our scientific world to believe that faith comes from here and not here I get that but notice what scripture says in verse number 10 he goes on to say for it is with the heart that you believe and are justified it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved as the scripture says he goes on to say anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and then Paul gives us the answers we've been searching for how then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one whom, ha- whom, whom they have not, you know the word? Heard. Paul could have said, how could, they, how could they call on the name of the one they haven't believed in? And how could they believe without seeing? But he didn't say it. He said, he said heard. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Now, the key verse, and I hope you didn't, I hope I didn't lose you. Key verse. 
Consequently, faith comes by hearing and that by the word of the Lord. And you would be like, do you think Matt in a 25 minute talk on Thomas's life and reading me a few passages of scriptures will convince me to believe? Yep. As a matter of fact, John was convinced of the same thing. That's why he didn't go to all the evidentiary uh, uh, historical reasons for why Jesus actually went into the locked room. He just said Jesus went into the locked room, right? He didn't go into long, long apologetic dialogue about all the reasons why you can now see and believe. He just said, he went in, Thomas said, my Lord, my God, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then he ends the section with these verses. Listen, in verse number 30, this is what he said. Jesus did many other miraculous uh, signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But then this is what he says. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name John just looks at you and he says look look, look, I know I know these these hurdles seem so insignificant they seem so so significant to Thomas as well but hear me and I know you don't get the exact same opportunity to see what Thomas I get this but hear me you you don't need it because I've written these things down and John wouldn't have known this but we get the chance to know this so that on Sunday morning at Solace Church you would show up yeah the skeptic you would show up and I don't know why you showed up and you were like why am I even coming to church today and you would show up today and you would hear a verse that says 2,000 years ago a man wrote this story down so that you could hear it from the mouth of a messenger I'm not the message just the messenger hear it from the mouth of a messenger that Jesus so much loves you that he gave you the opportunity to hear the word so that you could respond in faith And that's why Hebrews teaches us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Because today is not not a day for for us to overcome the intellectual hurdles, although we can do that with you. Today is a moment for you to respond. You're not going to like this. This is the truth to God through his spirit speaking to your heart right now. See, some of you may believe this morning that there are some people here that came to Christ through some kind of genealogy. Their parents were saved, therefore they were saved. Or, you know, some, you know, they just grew up in church so they get the benefit of being saved. No, hear me. You ready? Every single per- person that has received Christ came to a point in their life where God through the Spirit spoke to them because someone else shared the gospel with them. And they were pierced in their heart in such a way that their, that their ears, what they heard, pierced them and gripped them in their heart so much so that they were willing to take a step of faith and belief. Then I want to give you a chance to do the very same thing today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. 
You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.